Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. Whether this is her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct is everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct, your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Tech Stuff, a production from iHeartRadio. Hey there, and welcome to Tech Stuff. I'm your host, Jonathan Strickland. I'm an executive producer with iHeart Podcasts, and how the tech are you? Now, as we're about to head into Thanksgiving here in America, the huge tech news stories just won't stop. So earlier this week, I talked about what happened at OpenAI and how the board of directors fired CEO Sam Altman and how that had massive and immediate consequences. There's already another update to that. After being fired... Altman reportedly received an offer from Microsoft to become CEO of some advanced AI division. But now it is reported that he is in line to return as OpenAI's CEO once again. So, you know, if you listen to the stories, you know that he was fired. The board reversed its decision, begged him to come back. He demanded that the members of the board step down you know, the ones who had voted him out that they have to step down and they refused and it went back and forth. Well, now it looks like he is on track to come back as CEO of OpenAI. And the board was really kind of forced into this because there were a lot of staff members who were ready to just walk out if if the decision had not been reversed. Uh, Greg Brockman, the former president of OpenAI, who also resigned in the wake of that event, is also set to return to the company. All of the old board of OpenAI is now on the outseas, with the exception of Adam D'Angelo. He's the sole holdover from the board that fired Sam Altman. Uh, And he's supposed to be there to kind of help with transition. This new board of directors, which is very small, I think it's like three or four people, 
they're going to be in charge of actually creating an expanded board of directors. And I'm pretty sure that at least one of those seats will be taken by somebody from Microsoft. Because as I mentioned in the earlier stories, Microsoft has invested billions into OpenAI and was mightily miffed that the OpenAI board made this decision without first talking to its partner. I also guess that Emmett Shear, the former CEO of Twitch, who was serving as CEO of OpenAI, is going to count his tenure at the company in hours rather than, you know, like weeks or months or whatever. This is a wild story. But that's not what we're here to talk about today. We're going to talk about a different and equally wild story. We're going to talk about a different CEO, one who has played a really important part in the crypto community and who yesterday, on November 21st, 2023, pled guilty to a host of charges that include things like money laundering and sanctions violations and that sort of stuff, among other things. So today we're going to learn a bit about the crypto exchange Binance and its soon-to-be former CEO Changpeng Zhao, a.k.a. CZ. In fact, I guess now he really is the former CEO. I believe he's already formally stepped down. All right. This time last year, CZ was coming up in the news because of another crypto bro, fond of initialisms, SBF, a.k.a. Sam Bankman-Fried. And that was when FTX, the second largest cryptocurrency exchange in the world, was starting to fall apart. Well, CZ's company, Binance, was the largest cryptocurrency exchange in the world. Still is. So it was number one, and FTX was number two. For a short time, it looked like Binance was going to swoop in and acquire FTX in an effort to head off catastrophe. But then CZ changed his mind, and well, now FTX is gone, its sister company Alameda Research is gone, SBF is awaiting sentencing after he had been found guilty of multiple white-collar crimes, and now CZ has pled guilty to white-collar crimes. It is a wild roller coaster ride. And we will touch on all of that a bit more as this episode goes on. But first, let's back up and just learn a little bit about Binance and about CZ himself. His story, in many ways, really exemplifies the mythology that perpetuates throughout the tech sphere that, you know, a person can come from humble beginnings and then end up being one of the richest people in the world. You know, at one time, CZ was worth more than $20 billion. In order to do that, you might, you know, along the way, have to ignore some illegal stuff in order to maintain the Disney version of the rags to riches story. Because as it turns out, a lot of billionaires got their billionaire status by doing things that, you know, aren't necessarily legal. <laughs> so in 1977, CZ was born in the Jiangsu province of China. Uh, both his parents were teachers, but China in the 1970s and the 1980s was a tumultuous place for people who were dedicated to educating others. Uh, the Chinese Communist Party wanted very much to have a direct hand in how China's citizens thought, which meant educators were potentially enemies of the state, because it turns out teaching folks how to think critically tends to be bad for authoritarian regimes. It doesn't work well with their modus operandi. So according to CZ, 
His father had been identified as a potentially dangerous individual, and his family was forced to move to a more rural province. On June 4, 1989, student-led protests in Tiananmen Square in Beijing reached a tipping point after months of demonstrations. The Chinese government deployed troops against the protesters and commanded the troops to tell the protesters to vacate the square and use force if necessary. Violent clashes followed, and a whole bunch of people died in the process, to the point where it's often referred to as the Tiananmen Square Massacre. Now, how many people actually died is still a matter of conjecture. The Chinese government isn't exactly forthcoming with the figures, and in fact, has tried many different approaches to either dismiss or downplay or recontextualize the event. Uh, at one point, they even referenced it as a vaccination against future political turmoil, which is about as chilling a description as I can think of. So this environment in China was obviously really dangerous for people who were in the education sector. So CZ's family chose that to leave China. And a couple of months after the massacre, CZ and his mother immigrated to Canada and he became a, a nationalized citizen of Canada. CZ said he took several jobs as a teenager to help his mother cover family expenses, including working at a McDonald's. So again, this plays into sort of that mythology of the tech space where you have people from these pretty humble beginnings reach incredible heights. He also dedicated himself to his schoolwork. He proved to be adept at mathematics, and he decided to enroll in McGill University in Montreal and focus on computer science. After he graduated college, CZ took a gig first as a subcontractor, and he was developing software for the Tokyo Stock Exchange. Then he took a job with Bloomberg Tradebook and was, again, developing software that was related to making trades on stock markets. And in 2005, CZ made the decision to head back to China in an effort to create tech startups in China itself. So for years, China has represented a large and for quite some time, largely untapped market. You've got a country that has more people than any other country in the world, right? There's like 1.4 billion people in China. And so that's an enormous potential market to tap into if you can. And it's really tricky, not just because the Chinese government is very much an authoritarian presence, but also there are international sanctions that you have to deal with where other countries have put sanctions upon China and made it a lot harder to do certain types of business. Meanwhile, China went through a phase in which the government began to encourage tech companies in particular to start business in China, both natively, like encouraging native Chinese businesses, and to encourage international companies to create a position or a, an office in China, as China was looking to not just catch up, but to surpass other countries in the tech space. So CZ worked in China for several years, trying to hit it big with various startups. And that's how things went. Uh, he built businesses that bridged the gap between tech and finance. He continued to focus on things like high-frequency trading platforms, that sort of stuff. And in 2008, you had a famous white paper publish, which was called Bitcoin, a peer-to-peer -peer electronic cash system. This introduced the world to concepts like blockchain and cryptocurrency. And CZ said 
he first heard about all of this when he was playing in a poker game in Shanghai. And there was another guy at the table, a guy named Bobby Lee, who at that time was the CEO of a cryptocurrency exchange company that was called BTC China. So Bobby Lee turns to CZ in the middle of this poker game and apparently says that CZ should really invest like 10% of his wealth into Bitcoin because it was going to be the next big thing. CZ said that instead of doing the 10% deal, he's like, well, if 10% is good, all of it should be better. So reportedly, he then sold his apartment and then invested everything he had in Bitcoin. But at first, things did not go so well. The value of Bitcoin took a hit. CZ saw his personal wealth diminish as a result. I want to say that that Bitcoin's value dropped to just a third of what it had been when he made his initial investment. And that looked bad, but CZ practiced the old crypto mantra of HODL, H-O-D-L, hold on for dear life, and eventually saw Bitcoin rebound. He also thought that the entire crypto community would benefit if it were easier for normal folks to get into cryptocurrency. Because even in 2013, which is already half a decade after the initial concept of Bitcoin and blockchain had been unveiled, the folks who were into crypto mostly consisted of wealthy folks who were tech nerds, or maybe people who had aspirations of being wealthy, but already were a tech nerd. But outside of that group, cryptocurrency was still largely not really understood or known. So CZ thought it might make sense to build a more accessible platform to allow investors to get into cryptocurrency, and that this in turn would benefit the entire crypto community. Like it, it, it becomes a rising tide situation. You have more people getting into this and then actually potentially making cryptocurrency live up to what it was supposed to be, which was a digital means of exchange that would offer up opportunities that you just could not realize if you were dependent upon stuff like fiat currency. But in order for that to work, you got to get people to adopt it. If it's just this one small insular group using the technology, it doesn't really go anywhere. So he started to build up resources that he would need to launch his own cryptocurrency exchange, which he would call Binance. He named it after a portmanteau. Essentially, he was combining the words binary and finance. And he would essentially launch Binance out of China in July 2017. So I guess we need to actually talk about what a cryptocurrency exchange is. Essentially, it does what it says on the tin. So these are businesses that facilitate the exchange of money from one form of currency into another. I'll explain more about how this happens. But first, we need to take a quick break to thank our sponsors. Working remotely. Where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. 
Hi, I'm Cindy Crawford, and I'm the founder of Meaningful Beauty. Well, I don't know about you, but like, I never liked being told, oh, wow, you look so good for your age. Like, why even bother saying that? Why don't you just say you look great at any age, every age? That's what Meaningful Beauty is all about. We create products that make you feel confident in your skin at the age you are now. Meaningful Beauty. Beautiful skin at every age. Learn more at MeaningfulBeauty.com. Had enough of those supplements that leave you feeling nothing? Symbionica is your solution to great-tasting, all-natural supplements that actually work. Crafted with premium plant-based ingredients, their products have no seed oils, fillers, or toxins. Try them out and actually feel the difference today. Visit Symbiotica.com and use code IHEART for 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Again, that's 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Go to Symbiotica.com. C-Y-M-B-I-O-T-I-K-A.com. Okay, so how does a cryptocurrency exchange work? Well, in some ways, it's similar to how a an establishment like a, a currency exchange in a country works, except those are offshoots of like nationalized financial systems. But, you know, you would walk up to one of these places and you would exchange your home currency for whatever the native currency was. So if I were going to, you know, the UK, I would be exchanging US dollars for British pound sterling. But in the process, I would also be paying a small fee to the institution itself uh, on top of this. So I'm not getting a, a, a one-to-one value exchange here. I'm losing some because I'm paying the institution for the process. Cryptocurrency exchanges are similar, except what they're really doing is they're matching up buyers and sellers. So let's say that you want to get into Bitcoin and you're doing it for the first time, you would use a cryptocurrency exchange, you would open an account there, create a digital wallet, transfer some of your money into this digital wallet. Then you would use the exchange to purchase Bitcoin from somebody who already holds some, and it would be at an agreed upon price. Typically, the exchange handles all of this for you, so you don't have to like go through negotiations or anything. And then you purchase your Bitcoin by quote-unquote exchanging your US dollars for the Bitcoin. And the crypto exchange takes a cut of that transaction. There's a transaction fee that goes to the exchange itself. Now, these exchanges can, and often do, have their own cryptocurrency or token associated with the exchange. For example, the now defunct FTX exchange had its token called FTT. Binance has a unit that is shortened down to BNB, but It is called the Binance coin. There are a few reasons that cryptocurrency exchanges could mint their own crypto coins, their own tokens. One big one is just to raise money. You attract investors to your platform and you tell the investors, in return for your investment, you will get X number of native tokens and those tokens will be useful in different ways. So one of those ways is it can reward those investors, obviously, just to give them a a return on their initial investment. But this is somewhat tricky, right? Because if you're an early backer of a crypto exchange like Binance and you get this huge number of Binance coins in return for your investment, really all you have is a whole bunch of code, right? It's not magically worth anything. 
I mean, it's worth whatever the initial coin offering or ICO says it's worth, but it's not pegged to that value. The value can actually drop below that ICO. So let's say that Binance coin launches with a value of one US dollar per Binance coin. There's nothing that magically ties those values together on their own. So it could be that the Binance coin falls to 70 cents instead of a dollar. That could happen. Or it could go up. It could be that it suddenly is worth $500. So at first, it feels like you're being handed a big old pile of Monopoly money, right? Because the bills say they're worth certain amounts, but you can't actually spend Monopoly money anywhere other than in a game of Monopoly. But as people join the exchange and they put some money into the exchange's own currency, either to facilitate trades for other currencies or just as an investment, the crypto coin starts to take on a value that's determined by the market. So let's say that you are an early investor in Binance. As a result, Binance gives you like a million Binance coins. And then after a while, your Binance coins are worth 200 bucks a piece. You've now got $200 million worth of Binance coins. That's kind of like how these cryptocurrency exchanges get off the ground is just through this group hallucination that the token is going to be worth something. And maybe it will. And maybe it won't. It's a gamble. Now, on top of all that, often an exchange will also extend certain benefits to people who are holding and using the native tokens for that exchange. So, for example, if you're using Binance coins on Binance, you might get a discount on those transaction fees. So you'll still have to pay a transaction fee, but it won't be as much. So you'll be able to keep more of the value associated with that currency exchange. So in a way, it almost becomes something like a loyalty program. You can maximize your profits by investing in and trading with the native tokens of the exchange. All right, so back to Binance in, in particular. So CZ holds this initial coin offering. He attracts investors to pour money into supporting Binance by essentially buying up these tokens. And he launches it in the summer of 2017. However... That was around the same time that the Chinese government was starting to grow really leery of cryptocurrency. Now, you could argue this was China being stereotypically suspicious of any entity that the government did not have direct control over. And so they treated it like it was a potential threat to their authority. If the Chinese government can't control it, then there's always the possibility it could grow to a point that means it could defy the Chinese government. Now, you could also say that the Chinese government saw the potential for cryptocurrency to be the funding mechanisms for all sorts of illegal activities. And that could include things like money laundering, funding terrorist organizations, all this kind of stuff. And there's a legitimate argument for that. In fact, that's part of what the Binance has pled guilty to have done. But however you want to frame it, China began to pass more and more restrictive laws that essentially were muscling crypto companies out of the country. It was becoming harder and harder for them to do business in China, particularly with the level of freedom that they needed to operate in if they wanted to grow. So CZ chose to have a change of venue, and he relocated the headquarters for Binance. And what would follow was a kind of global game of hopscotch. CZ would pull up roots, and relocate Binance's headquarters to a different country. Then he would do it all over again once that new country began to pass more regulations around cryptocurrency. 
So he went from China to Japan. Then he went from Japan to Malta. Then he went from Malta to the Cayman Islands. You'll often hear that Binance's headquarters are quote unquote offshore here in the United States because there is a U.S. branch of Binance, but the actual main company of Binance is always referenced as being offshore. And that's partly because the company has been rather fleet footed when it comes to making tracks when regulations start to pop up. Well, within a year, Binance became the largest cryptocurrency exchange as far as trading volume is concerned. So 2018, it already had made a name for itself. In 2019, Binance launched a stablecoin backed by the US dollar called Binance USD. Originally, the Binance coin was trading on the Ethereum blockchain. But in 2019, Binance migrated all of its tokens onto its own blockchain called the Binance chain. That year also saw a big problem. Binance was the target of hackers. So some hacker or hackers were able to siphon away around 7,000 Bitcoin from the exchange as a whole. Now, in 2019, that amount of Bitcoin had a value of somewhere in the neighborhood of 40 million US dollars. That's a pretty big bank heist. Binance ultimately covered all the losses. Uh, the company had already established a fund specifically for those kinds of emergencies. CZ had that foresight. He knew that there needed to be a safety net there because cryptocurrency is inherently risky for various reasons. This was a reminder, in fact, that cryptocurrency is not inherently safer than other forms of currency. It's different, but it's not necessarily better, at least not when it comes to things like risk. Then Binance launched its own smart chain or smart blockchain, if you prefer. So the initial Binance chain was a pretty straightforward and simple blockchain. So it allowed for stuff like transaction validations and overall governance of the blockchain. But the smart chain that Binance launched carried the capabilities of supporting smart contracts. Now, smart contracts are a technology that allows for all sorts of different implementations on the blockchain that have really yet to be realized in a way that has been seen as practical, but it allows for stuff like NFTs. NFTs are built on top of smart contracts, and they can only exist on blockchains that have that support for them. So Binance launches its own smart blockchain technology. This also allowed Binance to provide an alternative to Ethereum, which was really the premier smart blockchain solution. Like, when you say smart blockchain, you don't necessarily just mean Ethereum, but practically that's what a lot of people did mean when they talked about smart blockchains. They were talking specifically about the Ethereum blockchain because it supported those kinds of transactions. It also complicates matters when it comes to things like discussing NFTs in a way that is genuine and meaningful and accurate. <laughs> because one of the arguments about NFTs is that you can move them to other blockchains and they will remain relevant. And that's only true if the blockchain supports smart contracts in the first place. And even then it gets tricky to migrate stuff. But that's for another podcast entirely. Binance also offered lower transaction fees and faster transaction speeds than you could find on Ethereum. So you could say that Binance was trying to drink Ethereum's milkshake in some ways. Now, this leads up to a point where the U.S. government begins to pay a bit more attention to cryptocurrency in general and Binance in particular. For a few years, the crypto world was operating kind of like the Wild West. 
There were very few laws and regulations that could get in the way, and there were lots of opportunities to make money and to grow. And even more opportunities if you weren't terribly picky about, you know, operating in a legal way and that kind of stuff. If you weren't, if you didn't mind getting your hands dirty, you could grow real fast in the crypto world. But in 2020, Forbes published an article that essentially implicated CZ as building a business that was specifically structured to deceive U.S. regulators while still profiting from U.S.-based investors. Essentially, they were saying CZ was designing Binance to confound U.S. regulators and keep the business from being restricted by regulations and laws. The U.S. government moved to investigate Binance specifically looking into the possibility that Binance was guilty of things like tax avoidance as well as money laundering. And a lot of this came down to the differences between Binance.us, the United States face of Binance, which was supposed to operate within the laws and regulations of the United States, and Binance overall, right? Like, so Binance overall operated with far fewer restrictions. But investors in the United States were supposed to be interfacing with Binance.us, which was supposed to be the more tame and legal version of Binance. The investigation uncovered information that implicated Binance as uh, allowing certain U.S. investors to engage with the more untame, wild and woolly version of Binance. In other words, to operate without obeying those regulations and laws, which was a huge no-no. CZ at the time maintained that the investigation was unwarranted. He said, this is all totally baseless, and we will come out proving that Binance hasn't done anything illegal, and we've been operating within the law. So that investigation starts, and it continues for a couple of years. And while that was going on, there was also massive drama happening within the crypto community at large. And to go into all of it would actually require a mini-series of episodes to really dive into what happened in 2022 in the crypto community. Uh, It's very complicated. Part of it is precipitated by stuff that happened years earlier, right? Because in 2020, the crypto community saw a big boost. The pandemic had lots of effects throughout all of culture and the economy. One of those effects was that a lot of people, once confined to their own home, (laughs) started to look into things like, huh, I wonder if it would make sense to invest in cryptocurrency. And a ton of people who had never really been involved in cryptocurrency at that point started to get involved. And this began a series of events that would start to drive the value of various crypto coins higher and higher, sometimes to unsupportable amounts, like look at Dogecoin, a coin that was made as a joke and essentially was made in a way to flaunt how ridiculous the cryptocurrency world could be. Even Dogecoin, the joke coin, the trash coin became very valuable compared to what it had started out as, but only for a short while before it collapsed in on itself when the perception could no longer support itself. Things like that were happening leading up to 2022 that would allow for an enormous rug pull, not necessarily an intentional one, but one that just kind of happened because of a confluence of events. I'll explain more, but first, we're going to take another quick break to thank our sponsors. 
Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. Hi, I'm Cindy Crawford, and I'm the founder of Meaningful Beauty. Well, I don't know about you, but, like, I never liked being told, oh, wow, you look so good for your age. Like, why even bother saying that? Why don't you just say you look great at any age, every age? That's what Meaningful Beauty is all about. We create products that make you feel confident in your skin at the age you are now. Meaningful Beauty. Beautiful skin at every age. Learn more at MeaningfulBeauty.com. Had enough of those supplements that leave you feeling nothing? Symbionica is your solution to great-tasting, all-natural supplements that actually work. Crafted with premium plant-based ingredients, their products have no seed oils, fillers, or toxins. Try them out and actually feel the difference today. Visit Symbiotica.com and use code IHEART for 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Again, that's 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Go to Symbiotica.com. C-Y-M-B-I-O-T-I-K-A.com. In 2021, cryptocurrency was having a banner year, right? Like, Driven by the increase in interest in 2020, 2021 was huge. In November of 2021, just two years ago, the value of Bitcoin hit a high of around $69,000 per Bitcoin, a value it has not hit since. Although, while it took a massive dive over the course of the next year, it has recovered significantly since then. However, after this huge high, investors started to back off of cryptocurrency. This was due to a lot of different reasons. Part of it was that the traditional financial systems around the world saw interest rates growing, right? So like the regular banking industry, you start to see interest rates go up, which means it becomes more expensive to take out a loan. Now, this was something that kind of shocked me because I don't know, I, I just take a much more conservative approach when it comes to investment, I don't believe in investing money I don't have. But as it turns out, I am in the minority. A lot of people believe in investing money they do not have in an effort to make way more money. And that will involve things like taking out a loan in order to make massive investments and stuff. But when you take out a loan, you have to pay the loan back, plus you have to pay back the interest. Well, as the interest rates go up, it becomes an inhibiting factor on investing right? Investors are less likely to pour money into stuff because now they're going to have to pay much higher interest rates on the loans they take out in order to make those investments in the first place. Whereas I was of the naive opinion that you take the money you actually have, not money that you have taken, a, you know, not a loan you've taken out, but rather money you actually have. And then you invest that. I'm a sucker. That's not how you're supposed to do it, apparently. <laughs> But that explains why I'm not a financial genius or anything. 
But anyway, the point being that because of these higher interest rates, there was a slowdown in investing in cryptocurrency. That was just one of the factors that was having an impact on the crypto community in 2022. Another happened in May of that year. There was a crypto token called Terra USD that was supposed to be pegged to the US dollar. Now, pegged means that the value of the crypto token is tied to the value of something else, in this case, the US dollar. But in May of 2022, because of some pretty complex issues, Terra USD became unpegged to the US dollar and its value collapsed. And that collapse became kind of like the first domino to fall in a chain. So it's like a chain reaction was initiated. The collapse undermined the security of several other crypto organizations that held units of this digital currency that suddenly had become worthless. So it was like if the dollar or whatever your native currency is suddenly became worth nothing, it wouldn't matter how much of it you had. It's still worth nothing. You would just have a whole lot of nothing if you were, you know, if you had a bank account filled with millions of dollars or pounds or euro or whatever it might be, but the value of each individual euro or dollar or whatever fell to zero, you're still penniless effectively. So this happened to a lot of cryptocurrency companies, whether they were crypto lenders or crypto exchanges or whatever. And you started to see a lot of these crypto companies go under. FTX, which at this point in 2022 was not yet known to just be a house of cards, at least not from anyone who wasn't already inside the company, FTX moved to help cover some of these companies that were affected by the collapse of Terra USD. So FTX was doing this in an effort to try and stabilize the overall crypto community. However, this also meant that FTX itself was overextended. And remember, at this point, FTX was the second largest crypto exchange in the world behind Binance. Now, when you get to November of 2022, FTX itself is in major trouble. So at first, before the full extent of what was going on at FTX was known, CZ indicated that Binance was going to essentially cover for FTX. Again, in an effort to ensure the stability of the overall market. Then, as more information came out about FTX's questionable practices, CZ reversed course and said that Binance would instead liquidate all of its holdings in FTT tokens. So remember, FTT was the native token of the FTX exchange. So Binance is saying, you know what? We're cashing out. We're getting out of it entirely. Instead of rescuing them, we're walking away. And that signaled a mass sell-off of FTT. And meanwhile, it became clear that FTX didn't actually have the money to cover all of that. See, these exchanges are supposed to have the resources to cover a mass withdrawal of the native token. If they don't have that, then you have a run on the bank and then suddenly the bank reveals it doesn't have the ability to cover all the withdrawals and you get a scene like the one from It's a Wonderful Life, where you find out, oh, no, 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 your money's not here. It's uh, it's in uh, Old Wilson's barn, and it's in, uh, you know, like that sort of thing. That's a terrible Jimmy Stewart. But I did that for my friend Shay, who loves Jimmy Stewart and hates my impression. So FTX, it turns out, had been secretly funneling customer holdings 
FTX customers money to cover bad investments that were made by its sister company, Alameda Research. That was why FTX could not handle the situation it found itself in. It was already not just overextended, but it was hollow because of this issue of funneling billions of dollars worth of funds of FTX customer money to a different sister company. Now, you could make the argument that CZ's move of saying he would first support FTX and then withdrew that support made the situation even worse. You could say, okay, CZ kicked SBF while he was already down. And in fact, CZ and SBF definitely do not like each other. They have, you know, feuded essentially in public throughout things like Twitter posts and stuff, you know, the way mature people do. And there has been a long history of the two of them sniping at each other. So you could say that what CZ did was he saw that SBF and FTX were in a bad position and he just decided to kind of twist the knife and make it worse. I would say that in the wake of all the information we learned through the various trials involving FTX executives, that the company was doomed whether CZ got involved or not. CZ's involvement was salt on the wound, but the wound was already deadly whether CZ said anything or didn't say anything. FTX had sealed its own fate with some truly terrible decisions. Meanwhile, Binance itself still was in the crosshairs of the U.S. government. It's not like it was free and clear of its own investigation. And during the course of that investigation, U.S. authorities determined that Binance was failing to comply with various U.S. laws, like the Bank Secrecy Act, which the Bank Secrecy Act requires financial institutions to investigate and to reveal suspicious transactions. So if a series of transactions indicate that perhaps someone is trying to launder huge amounts of money, maybe because of the drug trade or some other illegal activity, they are required by law to report that. And so the investigation was saying Binance was failing to do this, even though the Bank Secrecy Act would cover Binance's activities within the United States. Because again, Binance is a global company. It's not like the United States has jurisdiction over the entire world, although sometimes our country behaves that way. It is uh, still, however, operating within the United States, and at least for those operations, it is meant to comply with U.S. law. But as I mentioned earlier, the investigators had already determined that at least some U.S. customers were making use not of the U.S.-based version of Binance, but by the global, less regulated version of Binance. So the authority said Binance failed to put in even rudimentary systems to do things like check on suspicious transactions or to even be able to detect them in the first place. Like not only was Binance not investigating transactions that could lead to you know criminal activity, but didn't even have the system in place to do it, despite the fact that it was legally obligated to do that. As such, the authorities argued that Binance had become a haven for money laundering. The illegal drug trade could lean on Binance to launder funds and hide the financials for massive illegal operations. And not just the drug trade. There were lots of other accusations, including things like funding of terrorist organizations or people trading in child abuse material. We're talking terrible, grim stuff. And according to the investigation, even Binance's own staff had commented and joked about this problem within Binance. There was one joke being referenced about how 
Binance should put up web banner ads across the web telling drug dealers that if they're having trouble laundering their money, they should come to Binance because you can do it there and you'll get cake. So like arguing that Binance not only allowed for money laundering, but welcomed it and profited mightily from it. So just yesterday, which again was November 21st, 2023, for all of those who are listening from the future, Binance pled guilty to several charges relating to money laundering and similar crimes. CZ himself also pled guilty as part of this. And it's kind of like a settlement, you know, it's a, or a plea bargain deal. CZ will be forced to pay a fine of $50 million. Now, $50 million is a princely sum. Don't get me wrong. $50 million is a lot of money. If someone gifted me $50 million, I would essentially retire and run off to the woods to live a quiet life of isolation and video games. So $50 million is a huge amount of money. However, you have to remember CZ is a billionaire. In fact, his his current net worth is somewhere in the neighborhood of $10 billion. So $50 million is a fine that he can certainly afford to pay. He has also been forced to resign as CEO of Binance. His part of the agreement means that he will never be allowed to hold an executive position with a cryptocurrency exchange again. However, he is allowed to remain an advisor to Binance and a shareholder, the majority shareholder in the company. So while he can't be the CEO, he can be the shareholder. And, you know, we know major shareholders often, in fact, always direct where a company goes because they're the ones who hold the money. Technically, he could also face jail time. Uh, The Bank Secrecy Act holds a Uh, a maximum sentence of five years for people who are found guilty of violating the law. So he technically could face five years for that, as well as, you know, other prison sentences for the other crimes he admitted to. But uh, that's probably not going to happen. Since he pled guilty, chances are he's going to avoid any significant prison time. In fact, I, I would guess, I would bet that he doesn't spend any time behind bars. At most, he might have house arrest for a while or probation or something, but I don't think he's going to see any jail time. Unlike his colleague, SBF. SBF is looking at potentially some very serious jail time. So that's an interesting contrast there. But then again, SBF pled not guilty and put up a big uh, fight to suggest that he was not at fault for the crimes he committed. So there there are lots of differences there. Binance, meanwhile, is on the hook to pay a whopping $4.3 billion, with a B, dollars in fines, collectively. It's actually a couple of different fines that the company will be paying. But when you add it up, it's $4.3 billion. In addition, the company has agreed to a monitorship. So essentially, that means that representatives of U.S. authority will watch over Binance to make sure that Binance is following the law. It's not that the U.S. is going to have control of Binance. But they are supposed to get full transparency into Binance's operations to make sure that, you know, it's not still engaged in money laundering and such. This case is huge. It follows in the wake of other instances in which U.S. authorities have gone after various crypto companies for playing fast and loose with the law. Uh, Or as U.S. Attorney General Merrick Garland has put it, quote, using new technology to break the law does not make you a disruptor. It makes you a criminal, end quote. Considering that SBF was found guilty of several crimes, 
that CZ has now pled guilty to other crimes and has agreed to no longer hold an executive position with Binance and that numerous other cryptocurrencies or crypto companies rather have found themselves in similar situations, including one called Kraken that is currently part of a massive investigation. This really could just be part of a very nasty and painful growing process for the crypto world in general. Because it turns out, unlike what the ideals suggested back when it was first announced back in 2008, cryptocurrency is not able to operate wholly separate from established financial practices and institutions. It just can't. That's not how the world works. And that means that ultimately it will be held accountable, at least in some part, when those you know, crypto companies fail to follow the rules. How or if these specific criminal cases are going to impact cryptocurrencies as a whole remains to be seen. I imagine we might see some short-term volatility. I mean, more volatile than what we already see in cryptocurrency. But I'm not convinced that it's like the death knell. I've long been a critic of cryptocurrencies. I mean, even in the early days, I remember I said, I objected to them being called cryptocurrencies because they weren't being treated as currency. They were being treated like commodities or securities. They weren't being treated like a currency. You wouldn't dare spend it because the value of the currency was so volatile and the transaction time was so long that the value that you spent at the beginning of a transaction could be very different than the value at the end of it. Like imagine going up and buying a stick of gum for like five cents. But then by the time the transaction's over, that five cents has the equivalent value of what used to be a hundred dollars. You're like, well, that was the most expensive stick of gum I've ever bought in my whole life. That's a ridiculous example, except that's how it really works with stuff like Bitcoin. Like it can really vary that much from the beginning of a transaction to when it's validated. So I've always been a critic of cryptocurrencies. That doesn't even get into things like the environmental impact and how it has uh, engendered a lot of really unfair systems, and it has created a whole class of crypto bro evangelists who are desperate to get more people into cryptocurrency because that means that they can get a payout and it starts to look more and more like a pyramid scheme. I have, I still have all these criticisms of cryptocurrencies. However, I do not think this is the beginning of the end of cryptocurrency. I don't think it's going to find the foundations crumbling and come crashing down. I don't think that's happening. There's no shortage of other crypto exchanges out there that are looking at this as an opportunity to maybe make a bigger move in the space. Binance is still the largest cryptocurrency exchange in the world. It's not even close. By orders of magnitude larger than the the second largest cryptocurrency exchange out there. That's kind of like how Google holds a dominant position in web search. Like it's undeniable. They have almost a monopoly on that. Well, Binance is not quite at a monopoly level in cryptocurrency exchanges, but they're certainly the biggest player in town. But I bet a lot of other cryptocurrency exchanges right now are saying this is our chance to get a larger slice of the pie. It's just that a lot of them are still operating in areas that got Binance into trouble in the first place. So I think we're just through a very tumultuous phase in in cryptocurrency and that we're not close to the end of that phase yet where there's going to be this reckoning between the cryptocurrency community and various legal establishments around the world that are trying to make sure that cryptocurrency doesn't become a tool for criminals to use 
to get around the law. I think that's just going to be the continuing story for the next few years. And I don't want cryptocurrency to just collapse because I don't want people to like lose all their savings. I would much rather see people extricate themselves from cryptocurrencies and perhaps find other ways to invest their money. And then maybe once everyone is safe, then I wouldn't mind seeing cryptocurrency collapse because I really do think ultimately it's more harmful than helpful. I think it has created a very toxic kind of environment, Uh, but I don't want to see it go away and also bankrupt lots of people who were desperately hoping that this was their their ticket to racial stability that I don't want to see that happen. All right. That was another very long episode about a very crazy sequence of events that happened this week. Who knows what will happen tomorrow? Uh, I don't. And I also won't be talking about it because I'll be busy stuffing myself with turkey and lots of side dishes. For those of you in the United States who are celebrating Thanksgiving, I wish you a safe and happy and healthy holiday. For everyone else out there, I wish you an absolutely wonderful week. We will have a rerun tomorrow. And of course, Friday is uh, the day for classic episodes. But we'll be back next week with all new episodes before I go on holiday again. (laughs) Because the end of the year is crazy like that. I wish you all the best. And I'll talk to you again really soon. Tech Stuff is an iHeartRadio production. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Viking. Committed to exploring the world in comfort. Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, cultural enrichment, and all-inclusive fares. Discover more at Viking.com. Are you looking for the perfect move-in-ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below-market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in-ready home and start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA.